Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Make It Kind. Make It Kind. M-I-P. With Massimella Mark Thompson. Make It Kind. Get woke. Alright folks, we know what day it is. It's Thursday. That means it is time for Thursday Coast with the founder of both Daily Coast, the largest online progressive community, and Civics with a Q, the largest and most effective polling company in the world. Is that well, <laughs> let's, 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 why, you, why you stop me, man? Let's, <laughs> let's stay in the reality-based world. Neither the largest, why, why um, okay. but it might be the most accurate. We'll, we'll, that remains to be seen. But uh, accurate. I'll, we'll take that. How are, how, how are you, buddy? Doing great. How are you doing? I'm, I'm good. Good, good to see you. Listen, man. Th- these. We've been seeing more stories, and they culminated in Atlanta the other night. I mean, more and more attacks on Asian people. And we really, again, have to look toward Trump and the Republican Party for all that hateful rhetoric, don't we? Yeah, I mean, it was it was bad enough that they targeted Latinos and black Americans, um, not just black Americans, just black people, right? Because he was going after African countries as well, calling them, what, shithole countries? And, uh, and, um, and of course, you know, Jewish Americans, and I mean, that wasn't enough, right? He had to expand it to include absolutely everybody else. And so this China flu or the Kung flu and all these racist ways to describe a virus uh, really served no actual purpose other than to inflame those racial tensions, which I guess was probably what he was going for in the end. And here in the Bay Area, we've had a whole sort of epidemic of attacks on on our Asian community. And so um, it was clearly only a matter of time before it would erupt into an actual actual murder. And, you know, of course, we had a, a, a mass murder event targeting the Asian community. So um, these words, they, they matter. 
And I, it's so clear now. I don't even think Republicans are, are arguing the point now that that our homegrown white terrorists are a bigger threat than Islamic terrorism at the moment and maybe ever. Because, uh, you know, this is, <laughs> they're here, they're within us, right? This is not an external enemy anymore. It is a homegrown one. And it is so easy to hit these kinds of targets, to, to walk into a spa and murder a bunch of women. I mean, you can't harden those targets, right? You can't add security. Uh, what you can do, what you have to do is you have to do better at infiltrating those groups, infiltrating the Stormfront type websites and the web and uh, doing that old style type of policing, which Republicans have tried to stop in the past, right? They, we saw this during the Obama administration, um, but that's what needs to happen. And these, these, these militias need to be shut down. Well, no, yeah, the problem too, though, is infiltrating with policing. You have people in law enforcement as we saw on January 6th, that actually support this type of uh, insurrectionists and, and white supremacist, white nationalist activity. So, I mean, we have a whole problem. Somehow it, this has to be rooted out. We know some of those people come from the military, they go into law enforcement, and they want to be adjacent to this kind of behavior. So you almost have to screen any law enforcement looking into these types of cases just for example, folks, if, if you go on Daily Coast, you see the headline about the shooting in Atlanta. Headline reads, Atlanta shooting suspect had a really bad day, the sheriff's office explains. <laughs> Going to pains not to call it what it is. And that's another example of, of law enforcement either minimizing it in this case, but in, in more extreme cases, you have law enforcement taking selfies and, and wanting to be a, a part of this. You, let me ask you a question. You were in the military. Did you, I mean, without talking about that specifically, of course, but, but did you find your, find a culture of people in the military who were like that that you would say when you were around them, these are the kind of people that might join up with this type of white nationalism when they leave the military? Was, was that something apparent to you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, let me let me preface that by saying that the military was the most integrated, most diverse group of people I ever worked with. Uh, it is especially the enlisted ranks are disproportionately black and Latino because it is disproportionately lower socioeconomic rungs. And this the military is an incredible way for people in those lower strata to to be able to go to college and to learn the kind of skills that allow them to to sort of work up into that American middle class. So um, I'm an example of that. I mean, we were war refugees, right? My parents didn't have anything. Uh, they couldn't afford to send me to college. And so the military was my way to work um, work into where I am today. So and that's why I'm so excited that my son, who doesn't need to for social economic reasons, but that, he, you know, he just enlisted as well, because I think it's an absolutely um, it's great to be sort of around that diverse cast of characters. All that said, that diversity also included racist white Southerners with their Confederate flags in their in their barrack rooms. So that was absolutely part of the process. And even though it was integrated unit wise, it actually was pretty self-segregated by race, right? So, uh, you know, my black colleagues, they hung out together and they would go to a, to a hip hop bar and then you'd have, you know, the white sort of uh, Southern 
but they weren't all racist, but it was sort of culturally, you know, that was sort of that tradition. And they would go to a country Western bar and, uh, and then there was Latinos and we hung out together and, and, uh, and you had some of the more cultured white uh, enlisted members who would hang out, who wouldn't really be hanging out with that Southern crowd. They were pretty sort of tight and, and they were kind of scary. So you had that sort of self-segregation because there was a group of people that you just didn't trust. And so it's absolutely when Timothy McVeigh blew up that, you know, that government building in Oklahoma City, it was it didn't shock me that he was an ex-service member because there was people like that learning the kind of skills that could be used for homegrown terrorism. And so rooting that out and and uh, Mark, you know, I actually think the military is trying to root it out. Like, I don't I don't think the military is a racist institution on purpose. In fact, uh, my son and I have been watching YouTube videos of, of basic training to get him ready for his, for, uh, for basic. He's leaving in, in three months. And the first speech they get by the drill sergeants when they walk out is a speech on um, sexual harassment and bigotry and racism. And uh, it literally the first thing they're getting yelled at off the bus. It wasn't like that when I went in. Not, I mean, it wasn't even, Nobody talked that way in you know in the late eighties, but this is now something that they you know that seem to want to stamp out. Now, how much do they enforce that? Probably depends on who the drill sergeants are or who the like any other institution, right? But as an institution, I think it's it's trying to limit the damage internally. But um, it's clear to me that not just the military, ICE. You know, we got a report that ICE is actually undermining uh, border enforcement to make things more difficult for Biden and to create that sort of fake um, crisis that feeds Fox News and its re and its viewers, right? Uh, we just found out about this uh, police chief in Portland. Did you hear about the Portland police chief who actually framed a city, a black city councilwoman for a hit and run that leaked the information to a white supremacist group and accidentally, I, I think they accidentally recorded it. So it leaked, and then he he had to he had to step down. And I wasn't a police chief; it was uh, the the head of the union, the police union. Right, right. And you know that that was a, an isolated mistake. Isolated mistake. These are not isolated mistakes. Just like that police chief in 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 uh, suburban Atlanta who's talking about the this mass murder as he just had a bad day. He just had a bad day. It is a it is clearly a sort of an epidemic and we need to root that out. Heck, Capitol Police just got, you know, one of them just got busted by having an anti-Semitic magazine out in plain view. Like they're, they, they're so comfortable being bigoted and racist that they're not even trying to hide this stuff. It was literally on his table as as members of Congress were walking by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you, you, you're right. And uh, but it's really frightening that while Donald Trump is no longer visible in, in the mainstream and on media and even on social media, that his rhetoric, even after he's left office, even post his visibility and deplatforming, is still having enough of an impact on people to commit these hate crimes. Um, and, and that, you know, that shows you his, his lingering effect um, and the lingering effect in general um, when it comes to uh, uh, racism and white supremacy and white nationalism and xenophobia. I mean, that it, this this reveals the real danger in that it's not just a one off 
him cracking a joke. Kung, some people thought that was funny. Kung flu, kung flu. They thought that was funny. It's not. And and look at the, the lingering ad, effect of that. People are being killed yep. be, 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 because of that, uh, which is also paradoxical. How crazy these people are. He also said the virus wasn't really real. So how, we don't need to wear masks. So if the virus is not really real and you don't need a mask, then why do you need to kill Asian people for the virus? You see, it's just all of it. Why, why did he why did he why does he need credit for the vaccine for a flu that doesn't that is a, that that's a flu, just a flu and a hoax. And uh, just like you had Ted Cruz and John Cornyn demanding more vaccine for Texas when they've been <laughs> I, I thought there was no no pandemic. So what do you care about a vaccine since there's no flu, right? There, there's no there's no pandemic. There's no virus. It's just a random flu. Um, yeah, I know for sure. And, and Donald Trump. Yeah, he, he may be deplatformed. What he did is he sent a message, and that's not going away anytime soon, that being racist and bigoted and xenophobic is okay. You know, we, we all knew it was there, but he said it was okay. And then thanks to Facebook, it's, you know, amplified that much more because Facebook has no interest in deplatforming that content because it is literally, and there's, there's, there's a Facebook report about this, it's their more, most engaging content. If they stamp that out, they, they actually lose on engagement metrics. Well, but let me tell you, I, let, let me tell you a little more about that. I interviewed a guest uh, from City University of uh, uh, New York, um, uh, Dr. Nicholas uh, Freudenberg, who's written a book at what cost about the changing face of capitalism. What he said to me is not just engagement. The more engagement, the more consumer data gets sent to, adver- gets sent to advertisers. And that's how everybody makes their money. Mm-hmm. So the more polarizing and crazy and racist it is, the more attractive it is to av- to getting advertising dollars. So there's there's a, a, a monetary aspect to this. And people need to understand, yeah. even people who feel like they can just want to express themselves and as wrong as they are, you're running your mouth on social media. But you then are going to be hit up. Fake Zuckerberg and them are going to send your information. To a, a to a, a product company. That's then going to hit you up to buy something from them. So before you know it, you're spending money. You're paying to buy something based upon whatever racist rhetoric uh, you've put you've put out there. Um, it, it's 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 sick, and something has to be done about it. There's also something that has to be done about the uh, the filibuster. Where where do you see us on that? What's Mitch McConnell up to? So Mitch McConnell yesterday had a absolute temper tantrum on the floor of the Senate. And uh, basically, he, he, he vowed that nothing would happen in the Senate if the, if the filibuster was removed, because the filibuster runs to the core of the, you know, what the Senate is all about. Of course, this is a guy who's gotten rid of the filibuster on multiple levels when it suited him. And he would have gotten rid of it at the legislative level if they had gotten their act together to actually <laughs> get legislation done. Um, so this notion that, that there is some special value to, to a, a parliamentary tactic that didn't really exist until, you know, racist senators needed an excuse to block the civil rights legislation of the sixties, right? This is when it was perverted to its current use. So, um, but he, he sounded panicked and I think cause there's cracks. I mean, Dick Durbin, who's number two in the Senate now on, on his homepage, it literally talks about getting rid of the filibuster on his header. 
He's got, you know, the graphic actually has an anti-filibuster message. And Joe Biden talked about actually reforming the filibuster. And even Joe Manchin, who is quite literally all over the place on the issue, has sort of opened the crack to the idea that maybe a talking filibuster, a filibuster that actually you have to work for, that you need to have 40 people on, the, you know, in the Senate to to block anything. Um, he's opened the door to maybe that kind of reform. He walked it back today. Um, or yesterday, I forget. He he suddenly he's like, no, no, I'm still for for sixty, but he he cracked that door open, and there will be a point. He's made very clear that he he's not going to be the reason that Joe Biden fails. Nothing will pass from here on out without getting rid of the filibuster. Abs- literally nothing will pass right now because you only get one crack at the at the um, at the reconciliation bucket, right? And they already they already used it, right? They, and they used it well. But they only get one. So everything else from voting rights reform to labor rights reform to uh, infrastructure spending to, um, you know, justice reform. There's there's so many things coming down the pike. And some of it is absolutely critical to a functioning democracy. And I would say particularly three things. And one is is H.R. 1, this voting rights bill is absolutely critical to the Democrats' chances of even retaining power in two years because we see state legislatures are already trying to undermine voting rights. Number one. Number two, D.C. statehood. The, the, there, there's a moral argument and there's a practical political argument. And either way you look at it, D.C. has to become a state to empower people that right now don't have a voice in their government. Um, and also, um, it would it would give us two black senators, which you know, which I think just by automatically would double the number of black senators in the Senate, uh, just like that. And the Senate's already an incredibly biased institution towards small, white, rural, and inherently racist states. And so DC has more people in, than Wyoming. So there's absolutely no reason to say that. Um, and Vermont is almost right there too. So there's no reason to say that DC is any less worthy of statehood. So that's number two. And then number three is we have to reform the courts, right? Because everything that Biden and the Democrats pass is going to be invalidated by the Supreme Court. You can almost count on it. You have already a, a, a huge sort of, you know, 18 Republican attorney general, attorneys general have, are threatening to file suit to block parts of the $1.9 trillion bailout because they want to use that money for tax cuts. They don't want to actually use that money to, to uh, you know, assist governments that have been hampered by loss of revenue during this pandemic. They want to actually use that for tax cuts so they can then use that to run for re-election because uh, that's what they are. They're Republicans. So you're going to see this time and time again. And, and most of sending people checks, you can't really legally challenge that. But when it comes to voting rights reform, when it comes to labor rights, when it comes to just literally everything else, even D.C. statehood, it's going to end up at the Supreme Court. So it's going to be imperative that we change the courts. And, and it's clearly allowed under the Constitution. Congress and president, they can pass a law that says more Supreme Court justice. We'll add four. We'll add term limits for the Supreme Court. You can't fire a judge. It's a lifetime appointment, but nothing says that you can't just say 18 years on the court, then down you, then you go to a circuit court. Um, the lower courts need to be expanded. They're completely overworked. I didn't know this. In my podcast yesterday, I, 
I talked to Brian Fallon, who's, who's the executive director of Demand Justice. And he told me, I didn't even know this. There is no ethics regulations for Supreme Court justices. They can literally do anything they want. And apparently they do. So there, there's a whole raft of reform that is critical for, for our functioning democracy. And all of it will be thrown out. No, no, first of all, none of it's going to pass if there's, no, if there's, if there's uh, a filibuster. And two, if it passes, none of it's going to survive judicial challenge because we now have a Supreme Court that's 6-3 conservative and partisan and absolutely partisan. So the question then becomes, is uh, Joe Manchin going to be the villain? Is he going to be the guy that literally collapses the entire Democratic agenda for the rest of this term, which will make it that much harder for Democrats to win re-election next year, which makes it that much harder that anything good happens and moves forward. So we need we need to expand our Senate majorities. We need to hold the House. We need to make Joe Biden's presidency successful. And we should all be so incredibly shocked and amazed that it's as good a presidency as we're seeing. And so the hangup is not the president anymore. Sometimes it's the president. Oftentimes it's been the president afraid to, to push hard. We're not seeing that right now. The hangup is serious, is literally one man, Joe Manchin, and his sidekick, Kirsten Cinema. And you had iterated us before that he would get on message. I just still don't get the deal. Now, Cinema just obviously has not read the latest information about her own state. I mean, it's just obviously that simple. She needs yeah. to get caught up. We need to go visit her or whatever. But Manchin, I really don't understand what he gets from this. Um, honestly, I, I, I don't I don't get it. You Nobody had, in West Virginia cares about a filibuster. Right. Would, would, uh, would, nobody you know, cares if Neera Tandon is at OMB. Would you say before people in West Virginia don't even know what OMB is? <laughs> yeah, or Neera Tandon. Like, I mean, him being a you know a jackass for absolutely just to be a jackass. Is it, is it ego? Is is it is it ego or what? I mean, I don't. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it has to be. It absolutely has. I mean, I don't know what else it would be, right? Uh, and you know what the irony is, though, and and this is where I kind of hope. I would love this to be the argument that's used to, to move him on the filibusters. Right now, he's not vote. He's not the deciding vote, right? 60, 60 people. You know, he's he's number fifty of sixty. You get rid of the filibuster. He is this. This is he is literally the deciding vote in every piece of legislation. So, if what you strive for is to be in that media limelight and sort of be the the curmudgeon-y a-hole who who has to be wine and feted by the president to pass anything. Get rid of the filibuster and you become the most important person in Congress. Right. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, he could just do that. And that would make all the difference Uh, on D.C. statehood. Just add a couple other numbers for you all. D.C. pays more in taxes than 49 states per capita. D.C. has lost more service members in America's wars and had more people serve in the military in the United States than 49 states per capita. So why shouldn't DC be a state? And as many of you know, that's an issue that I've been passionately a part of and even spent a little time in jail around that issue. And it makes sense because again, Democrats will solve a lot of their problems. Stop being nice. Stop, you know, we gotta save this other party. We gotta throw them a lifeline. Get two more senators. That would solidify a Democratic majority for years to come. 
And man, listen, same thing in Puerto Rico. I'm not opposed to that. Look, when Stacey Plaskett uh, lit up that congressman, I can't think of his name the other day. Now there's a movement to make Virgin Islands a state. <laughs> make them all states. You know, you know they'll never let that. Can you imagine if D.C., Puerto Rico, and the Virgin Islands? So, you know, Puerto Rico is a little, it's not D.C. D.C. is like, that's no. a clear, open, shut case, right? Puerto Rico, there's issues of colonialism and self-determination that still need to be addressed. D.C. statehood has passed in several referendi or referendums. I don't know what the plural is. But um, a lot of them were were being boycotted by one side or the other because none of them mattered, right? Right. You have to have a referendum that actually matters and let people have that debate. We don't even know if in such a referendum, if Puerto Ricans living in the mainland would get to vote and why a lot of them had to leave because of economic disaster caused by Hurricane Maria, right, during during the Trump years. Why shouldn't they have a say? Um, but I will say I'm not Puerto Rican. It's not my decision to make how they go about and doing it. It's just a process that they need to figure out for themselves. So it's different to say like Puerto Rico should be state. And the other thing is, if I'm a Republican, I'm not as worried about Puerto Rico as I am about D.C. because D.C. is going to be two Democratic senators in, you know, guaranteed. Puerto Rico could elect Republicans. It has had Republican governors. Um, it could have, you know, the, the House delegation can be split. So it's not a clear, I, I'm still pro DC state, I mean, Puerto Rico statehood, knowing that, right. like, again, caveating that it's not my decision to make. Right. But it's also not a clear partisan win for Democrats. It'll be lean Democrat. Let's not, you know, I mean, but it's not a guaranteed, um, Democratic all around. So it's, um, it's a bit of a different um, challenge. And another one that's been talked about is uh, statehood for Navajo, Navajo Nation. And the um, and you would have to carve it out of, of New Mexico, Arizona, and maybe bits of Colorado. The challenge there, though, is that right now the Navajo Nation has certain rights as an Indian territory that are guaranteed. It's, it's you know, people who are enrolled in Navajo Nation that are enrolled in, you know, Navajo they would lose those if it was a state right. and then anybody can move in. So all of these questions, you know, they, they, they have that at the, you know, at the superficial level they're like, yeah, well, no, no crap. That's a great idea. But then when you start to drill in, it starts to get a little more complicated. And so um, I'm supportive of anybody's desire via surf determination who is currently disempowered to ask for that power. That's sort of my position. DC again, it, it's such a no-brainer. I actually had Bo Shuff on my on my podcast yesterday. Do you know Bo Shuff? I believe he so. is the he's the executive director of DC Votes, right. and he's this like Ed Brimley character with a big mustache, and and I didn't know what to expect. And he turned out to be absolutely fantastic as as an advocate because I even asked him about this Republican effort to just stick DC into Maryland. Because DC was carved out of Maryland territory originally, right? right? And the idea right. being, well, okay, they get they got to say now because they're now part of Maryland. Yeah. He actually had a great answer on that, which is about so self identity and self representation, right? Is is they DC is its own entity, and why should they be appended to somebody else? Uh, which I'm sure was sort of the argument with West Virginia. Why is West Virginia a state? Why couldn't they have stayed with West? You know, with Virginia. If we're going to stick DC back into uh, into Maryland, let's let's stick West Virginia back into Virginia. There, we have our we have our uh, compromise, and we can say at fifty states at that. Let's do that. All of those arguments have been well worn and worn out over the past 25, 30 years. 
And even in the courts, Jamie Raskin represented all of us at the Supreme Court level. And that court ruled uh, based upon precedent that admission as a state was a political matter. It wasn't a matter for the judicial branch uh, at all, because Republicans then tried to make an argument that you need a constitutional amendment. The Supreme Court ruled. It'd be hard for this court to go back on that and just completely reverse that. Um, and it's clear in the Constitution, too. I mean, there is yeah. literally language in how to admit a state. I don't, yeah. I don't think you now their argument is that D.C., it's the federal, you know, the District of Columbia itself has to be independent. But that doesn't mean you can't carve out all the neighborhoods and turn them into a state. I mean, it's yeah, it, 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 it would be what literally would be carved out. The plan would be what the legislation calls for would be the carving out of the national capital service area. That's yeah. actually and that would sit in the middle. So that's all the government buildings, Congress. Spring all over the White House, they yeah, would have their own sliver and be surrounded by what would be called uh, D.C., the Douglas Commonwealth. Which I swear to God, when the first time I heard that, I got tear my eye. <laughs> like, I so in love. Isn't that amazing? Whoever came up with that it was like genius. Genius. I mean, to have a state named after Frederick Douglass is almost bigger than having the first black president, y'all. I'm going to be honest with you. Oh, now. my freaking God. You're kidding me? I get chills just thinking about it. <laughs> like, right now, I'm like this. When they, had, when they had the most recent press conference, I'm there. And Nancy and Stinney and all there. And they're talking. That was a big deal. And so when I, I raised my hand for a question. And I said, aren't you all going to say the name of it? And Nancy and Stinney, oh, yes, of course. Thanks for reminding us, Mark. We almost forgot. And then they started talking about it. And a lot of other people hadn't heard it. They were like, what? You're going to name the state after <laughs> Frederick Douglass? And so D.C., District of Columbia, Columbia is named after a person. Think about how many places that are named after people. Um, not to mention all the states and cities that are named after indigenous people that we don't even realize. Massachusetts is an indigenous word. Yeah, All right. Illinois. Uh, you know, I mean, people don't don't know that, but yeah, that's that's what it is. Um, so, you no, know, that will be a great thing. Lastly. So now we once again see and unfortunately, you know, the Bellway media kind of downplayed this in 2020. But you and I knew I mean, Russia has not left. Russia is still involved in stuff. Now we realizing they were once again involved in 2020, involved in trying to do the thing. Uh, to discredit Hunter Biden or, or discredit Biden vis-a-vis -vis his son. This this stuff um, has not stopped. No. And, and so, yeah, that intelligence report came out by the intelligence agency saying that not only was Russia involved in trying to sow misinformation and to alter the results of the election, just like they did last time, um, but they actually fed information to right wing figures like Rudy Giuliani and right wing media figures. So we got to assume that's Tucker Carlson and, and, you know, that Fox News crowd. I mean, uh, Rush Limbaugh, none of this should be a shock. We knew they were doing it. What was kind of a little bit of a shock, though, is that as much as Trump claimed that it was the Chinese who were meddling in the election, you know, the intelligence agencies were uniform and unilaterally decided, you know, declared that there was zero evidence that the Chinese involved because, you know, from their perspective, neither of the candidates was pro-China, right? I mean, Trump clearly um, is a racist bigot. But Joe Biden himself kind of, you know, campaigned on being tough on China on economic matters, right? So I think for in China's perspective, it's like, eh, <laughs> you know, like, it don't matter to us. So they, they set it out. 
uh, it really mattered to Russia. And we saw yesterday that Joe Biden called Putin a killer and then Russia has recalled its ambassador. So it's turning into a bit of a little bit of a diplomatic brouhaha. But it, it's it's long time coming. I mean, Russia is 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 um is a danger to the world. It's I mean, they are a big reason that Donald Trump was president for four years. And they need to pay for their meddling in our elections, pay for the murder of um, journalists. Um, you know, his number one dissident right now has just disappeared. So it wouldn't be surprising. He was arrested and disappeared. Uh, it wouldn't be surprising if he ends up dead. Mm. And uh, it, it is, I mean, this is, a, this is a country that's been ass assassinating its enemies in the streets of London, right? I mean, this is not um, right. a, a good faith player in, in our sort of international order. And neither was the U.S. for four years. I'm not, <laughs> it was a disaster. But yeah. we, you know, we're working to right our ship. And yeah. there's none of that exists on the, on the Russia side. I mean, it is basically an autocracy. Yeah, and, and to the extent that the Bellway media um, m minimizes some of this, you know, they have to understand that they're also players in the Russian disinformation. Um, to just put a finer point on what Marcos is saying, folks, this is a government run by organized crime. That's literally Basically. what this is. I mean, there's no... I'm not exaggerating that. So, so you might think, oh, there's nothing. No, this is a government that is run by organized crime, um, and you can't have that. It's danger to everyone, and it affects us all. So, yes, absolutely. All right. Once again, Marcos Melissa is with us, uh, founder of Daily Coast, largest online progressive community, founder of Civics, uh, the largest. The, 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 I'm getting to it. Largest, most successful polling <laughs> firm in history, and the, the brief, <laughs> in history, the, the brief. The most listened to and most downloaded new podcast uh, in the world, and uh, <laughs> so I'm not claim I'm, I'm not making those claims. <laughs> I got, but I got I'm your PR man. I got I'm your man. I'm hooking you up. All I'm right. <laughs> Check out. Thank the you brief, so much, Mark. Check out the brief, yo. It's, it's great. It's a lot of fun. Thank everybody, you. Everybody, please wear your yeah. Everybody, please wear your masks. We're not out of this yet. Uh, we need to. We're only a couple weeks. We're only like a month and a half away. Just yeah. Wear your mask, please. Wear your let's, mask. Let's continue, continue wearing your mask and, and speak out against hate, hate crime and hateful yes. behavior. Speak out against all of it. Shut it down. Yes. If you see people talking about it on your social media, step in and say this needs to stop. And you tell them what I told you. You, say, well, you all think you're making a point, but all you're doing is getting us all targeted for advertisers. That's really what that's really the end result. Of that. So cut it out. Speak up. Thank you, all Marcos. Right. Have a great weekend. All right. You too, man. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, subscribe, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been Made Plain.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.